Good morning, and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series where we interview firm executives and thought leaders, as well as third-party industry luminaries and experts on important global business trends, topics, and leading practices. My name is Stan LaPique, and I lead global research for KPMG's Management Consulting Services Group. And I'm pleased to have back with us again here today on Advice Worth Keeping, Mr. Michael DeClaudio. Mike is a principal in the U.S. firm, and he's a senior member of the executive team of the People and Change Practice. So, Mike, thanks for joining us here again today on Advice Worth Keeping. Thanks, Stan. Great to be back. A very interesting and timely topic today, and that is digital labor or process and cognitive automation or the automation of jobs within organizations. So certainly there's a lot of ramifications, the movement towards greater automation from the perspective of the human resource function. There's a lot of issue organizations are going to need to deal with around hiring and retraining, dealing with the turmoil of job automation, looking at succession planning. But I think what we'd really like to drill in here to today is what does digital labor mean from the perspective? of the HR organization itself. So maybe to start out, if you could just quickly go through what are some of the, the big picture items the organization as a whole is going to be addressing, but I think what we'd like to drill into then is what does this mean to the HR function itself? Every aspect of the organization, both from a internally facing corporate services view all the way to parts of the organization thinking about customer, customer services and operations are dealing with the impact of automation and digital labor. So at the very macro level, there's big time macro economic questions about the meaning of work, the meaning of productivity. If you get into serious autonomy using things like autonomous vehicles or autonomous process notification and automation, what does that do to the economy and the thought of labor? So that's at the super high level. When you bring it into your organization, then you start to ask as an organization, what's my job in the production cycle? So the things that I make, are they still relevant in a more autonomous society and a more digitally led society? Then you get into the organization itself. So how do I go about the business of my business using more digital labor. I think different functions are going to have different degrees of access to that problem and different degrees of access to that solution. Certainly, we're seeing in the finance space a lot of automation around things like book closing and P&L management, forecasting on the FP&A side. We're seeing a lot in the supply chain areas. We're seeing more tracking, more things happening in the tracking space around product movement inside of warehouses and aging of invoices and things of that nature. And then there's in the HR side. The HR side tends to be not the first adopter of changes like this. We've seen that with outsourcing. We've seen that with cloud technologies, but they tend to be a pretty serious adopter once it happens. So what we've started to see inside of HR functions is more of like a process decomposition. What are some of the opportunities I have to further automate and streamline business processes? And then a whole second wave of what are some of the opportunities I have to use machine-oriented learning, thinking machines, if you like, IBM Watson type stuff to do more strategic value added items, career coaching and counseling, business counseling, etc. From a very macroeconomic view all the way down to an individual recruiting process and when someone gets onboarded and how they're provisioned, digital labor is going to have a footprint in each of those steps along the way. So it's, it's going to be important for organizations to recognize that and to get in front of this train as best they can. So from perspective of the HR organization, where do you see typical client today? 
saying, yes, there's no such thing as typical, but are organizations aware of what's coming and that they're planning for it? Are they putting strategies and plans in place? In your travels, are HR organizations comfortable that they understand what's coming and they're preparing for it? They may not be totally ready, but they're preparing for it, both in terms of how do they help the business adopt it, as well as how do they adopt it within their own organization? Where are we at from a readiness perspective? I would say there's a class of organizations that have identified as early adopters, and those early adopters are largely looking at process automation opportunities. Great examples around offboarding. When someone leaves your organization, have you collected all of their assets? Have you shut down the access to all of your systems and your locations? Have you adequately termed them and started up all of the things you have to do around payroll taxes in the U.S. or other unemployment benefits outside of the U.S.? Have you triggered all those steps? Those are things that used to be done manually, so everyone had a checklist. In traditional HR functions of old, it was a single person's job to run through the entire checklist. As we fragmented responsibility across multiple service areas, sometimes multiple countries, even multiple organizations, that single point of ownership gets lost and things miss out. People who still have company laptops that they've left, people whose badges still work. Organizations that saw that as a big ticket problem were looking for ways to fix it. And along came some process automation technologies that could seek out a termination flag in one system and then pre-populate and push into all of the other systems that same termination flag. So it's like a smart interface. And that became a pretty prevalent thing. I say prevalent. It didn't been in the last six or nine months that we've really seen that as more than a one-off for ways of organizations to deal with that particular issue. But again, even those early adopters are really looking at ways to continually sharpen process. There's still bigger questions around HR's role as a strategic partner, around HR's role as a coach to the line manager and to the business that we really haven't seen much uptake yet, but we know is going to be the big wave that comes next. Certainly, there are some of the technology companies that are out there. So IBM has a solution suite based on Watson that's going to be launched here in the next couple of months. You're looking at the big ERPs, Oracle, SAP, particularly Workday, that are looking at rolling out more smart metrics to organizations, to line leaders, helping them get in front of things like turnover and high potential deployment and things of that nature. We're starting to see the market bend in that direction, but from an organizational readiness perspective, it's still pretty nascent. And I think I would say a lot of companies know that this exists. They're not entirely sure what its impact is going to be on them yet. Where we're really lagging as an HR function is how we're going to then manage the transition on the business side, what HR's responsibility is going to be to the business as the business seeks to utilize more digital labor. Beyond that point, where is HR at in addressing some of those same issues, such as training and retraining, rethinking targets for hiring, succession planning, change management? Because obviously the HR organization a few years out will look quite different than it does today if it's aggressively adopting process automation just as the organization as a whole but will look quite different. So maybe taking HR as the test case or a microcosm of what's going to happen to the business as a whole, where are organizations at with addressing some of those peripheral elements? So you cited some great things these technologies can help the HR group do. But how about the transition from where they're at today, particularly from a staffing standpoint to where they'll be in a few years? How are they doing in terms of preparing for that and really using themselves as a test case for what's going to happen with the business as a whole? First of all, I don't want to gloss over that notion of is HR using itself as a test kitchen? Because I actually think that's incredibly powerful. There is something around organizational credibility. There's something around building your own set of practices as an HR function that if you do this to yourself, 
yourself and continually modify the way you work to take advantage of new technologies, to take advantage of new delivery mechanisms like digital labor, you're going to be that much more credible and versed, helpful, frankly, in pushing the rest of the organization forward. Giving yourself your own medicine is really important. A, do that. And then B, let's talk about what that could mean. So a lot of organizations, and we've been saying this now for probably five years, go out and hire people who are really good at analytics. Because what's happening is data is starting to get thrown off of these systems that people have implemented over the course of the last couple of years. You have good data, you have real-time data in the case of a lot of the cloud platforms or near real-time data in the case of some of the cloud aggregators like SAP HANA that allow you to manipulate information and make decisions on that information in an incredibly fast way. It used to be that succession planning was a six-month process that happened every year and there were massive booklets inside of the head of talent management's office that were kept under lock and key and we would go page by page and debate people's placement on the nine box. That process takes about 17 minutes right now inside of a more advanced HR technology platform and frankly 15 of those minutes are everyone agreeing who's going to see the information in the first place. It's not the ability to create the insight in the data is rapidly becoming objectified and rapidly becoming almost automated. It's the ability to make an action based on that information that's so critical. And that skill set in the HR function means the ability to rapidly redefine things like compensation programs, incentive plans, things like engagement drivers, recruitment strategies, where we're finding good candidates and not finding good candidates, you know, what we're seeing in terms of return of investment on training. If I can rapidly diagnose the efficacy of certain training modules, then I can decide whether or not I want to keep them. The ability of the HR function to do that to itself is going to be great, but it is going to start with the skill set. And the skill set is going to be less about finding creative ways to build data and get insights from it and more about the ability to create an action around it. And then I think the next step for that is going to be to talk to the business leader and glean out of the business leader their decisions that they have to make and the changes that business leaders have to make based on this HR data so that it's not just good information that sits on a shelf, but you're actually starting to see the business operate in a different way as well. For the typical listener on the line, what are the things they should make sure that they're doing or make sure that they're on their agenda in the next six months? Job one is to go and Google digital labor. Go and Google robotic process automation. Go and Google smart automation. Just get yourself a little bit versed about what in the roundest terms it is, because it is new enough in the HR space that it's seeking definition. So it's being defined by the different products that are out there, which means that its ability to fix your problems is going to be based on the square peg round hole principle, as opposed to you being in the driver's seat as a business leader and an HR leader on understanding how you can actually use principles or tools and techniques or technologies that are in a smart automation offering or a robotic process automation offering. So the first thing is just go and educate yourself a little bit. The next is to start to think about what are all of the core processes I have and how can I leverage smart automation into those? So for example, if you're building a succession plan, we talked a little bit about process automation and its ability to rapidly get you the data you need to build a succession plan. Start to challenge the business on how they could be using smart labor in lieu of traditional roles and jobs and people so that you're building into the 
and succession plan, and you're looking at robots and you're looking at smart automation almost in the same way as you're looking at human capability, and you're starting to plan yourself, and maybe it's not in the upper right-hand corner of the nine box, maybe it's not a ready-now successor, but it might be ready soon. And you start to look at it the same way you've looked at talent over the years and what you're going to need to do to groom and promote and create that capability. That's going to help you get a handle on how to inculcate smart automation in your business. That's going to help the business get a handle on how to do the same because they're probably used to your processes already around succession management. The last thing I would do, and this is important to not sleep on this, is to start to think about, go and just jot down what are the 10 or 15 most painful processes you have because they're the most error prone or they're the most labor intensive, the ones that are repeated the most, and start to go back to my Google search and say, well, how could I actually change that process if I had automation? If I had smarter automation, if I had better data, if I was able to automatically integrate decisions made in one platform into another platform, start to perform some sort of design thinking. This is something we do with our clients here at KPMG a lot is really design oriented thinking around what's actually possible that goes beyond traditional kind of swim lane economics for processes where we can actually get into how can smart labor solve a process problem, solve a talent problem that in a way I'd never even thought of before or even in a way that doesn't exist right now in the market, because the market, again, is changing so fast that you might find yourself defining a need that isn't met currently, but will be met in six months, and you will have been out in front of the market, which is always a good place. To start to wrap up, Mike, one thing I think is interesting is this entire conversation, you haven't talked about saving money. I think we hear a lot of organizations looking at process automation, particularly robotics process automation, as a way to save even more money. So money's been saved through the use of shared services, the use of outsourcing, just greater automation. But I think you've really highlighted, and the examples you've cited certainly can save organizations money by doing things faster with less people. But I think what you've really highlighted is the more strategic elements and the more strategic capabilities process automation can bring the organization, and in particular the HR group, around better understanding the skills of the employee base, not just faster at doing things around succession planning, but getting better at it. So I think it's quite interesting that you've highlighted the numerator side of this versus the denominator. So I think that's very important for people to look at. Not to say you don't want to save some money, but that there's a much bigger picture here. And I think organizations that just use this as a way to further drive down costs have benefits short-term, but long-term are going to be at a disadvantage to their peers that have really looked at how they can change their business by using these technologies. That's exactly right. The quandary I would hate an organization to be in is, and this is an extreme example, is to find themselves trying to find jobs that the market is no longer supporting because the rest or the majority of the rest of the market has automated them. And we see this in certain areas right now where, boy, I could sure use a COBOL programmer. Well, there's no COBOL programmers under 35 because COBOL is programming language that has not been really used in new technologies for many years. What I would say is you don't want to find yourself in that position, not just as an HR function, but as a business as a whole, where you are out there trying to go and recruit talent or grow talent or build talent for a delivery model that no longer exists. There is going to be a certain level of threading the gas and the clutch on this as an organization to make sure that you are continually pushing your organization forward, not getting so far out in front of the market that no technology can even support you yet. I think there's a very small amount of companies that can afford to do that because they have their own technology implementation capabilities, or their own technology design capabilities. But you also don't want to be in the extreme laggards either, because what you will find is that you will ultimately have to make radical changes 
change. And as opposed to doing this purposefully and over time and in a way that feels organic and non-threatening all at once, you will have to make radical transformational change in order to catch up to the rest of the labor market and the delivery market. And that is just ultimately so much more painful and risky than doing it in an organic, thoughtful, planful way. That's a great point to sign off on. Mike, as usual, thank you for your time here today. We'll have to be back again on a regular basis. Obviously, there's a huge amount of issues relative to the adoption and growth of digital labor that you and your group can speak to and give our clients some advice. Thanks for your time again here today on Advice Worth Keeping. You bet. Thanks for having me, Sam. And you can find the links to the items we referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash us slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.